welcome to the study of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're in a 10-week time when we are seeking to rediscover Jesus through Revelation. And I'm so happy that I'm joined by two good friends, Dr. Donald Patrick Harris and Dr. David D. Pfizer. Um, I'm so grateful for you guys and looking forward to this opportunity to, to dig a little bit more deeply into this fantastic book. And as we're getting started in this study, um, I thought it'd be a, a great opportunity for us to get to know each other or for our viewers to get to know us. And uh, so, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, and then a little bit about uh, your interest in the study of the book of Revelation? Okay, well, I currently pastor an evangelical Presbyterian church in South Central Pennsylvania. I received my PhD in theological studies with a focus on systematic theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and been bringing that to bear in my pastorate, uh, which has been a challenge. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the folks that pastor are not necessarily academically minded. Uh, nor inclined, but uh, the depths that we plumb in scripture and our studies uh, have something to say to everybody. So I'm uh, learning to translate all of that into uh, their language, so to speak. Um, my interest in Revelation um, really was kind of low, so to speak, until you put this on my radar and all of a sudden, it was like Revelation came out of the woodwork at me from several mm -hmm. different directions and got me to the point where I started uh, two different Bible study groups in my church, and we're still going through that. And then this uh, weekly pastor's gathering I attend had been studying the seven churches wow. and talking about the application of both the Lord's encouraging words and the Lord's warnings to each of those churches. Uh, so I have arrived at a point where I, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, I've fallen in love with revelation because I have found it to be so encouraging to me to persevere, endure, not depend on my own strength, but really continue to seek the Lord in humility and depend on his spirit day by day to be a faithful witness. Mm, yeah, and Revelation really draws that out, doesn't it? It, it yeah. does in so many different ways. Wow. Well, that's cool. Well, I know uh, that just for our viewers, it, the three of us took part in a study. Uh, gosh, has it been a year ago when we gathered together and met uh, to, to talk about Revelation and its impact on our lives and as well as on our times? And so I'm, I'm grateful for the fruit of, of that, which I'm hopeful that we'll see in this more formal study. Don, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, probably the most important thing is that I came to Christ when I was uh, 17, uh, 16 years old. I can't tell how many years ago that is now, but it's <laughs> uh, too much math for me. Uh, but um, my claim to fame is that I've been married to Ellen for 43 years, and God gave us three sons, and uh, Joshua is our oldest, Nathan is our middle, and Adam Christopher passed away as an infant, but we don't want to forget him. Mm. And we are also the grandparents of two grandsons, so 
that's our delight and privilege right now in life. Uh, I have served as a missionary for 25 years uh, with two different organizations, all in the same country, uh, but in different cities. So we, uh, I served as a facilitative church planter in the former Czechoslovakia. And that was a great experience, many wonderful years of life. Um, prior to that, I pastored for nine years in various roles. And now that I'm not fielded overseas, I work uh, from our home base in Palm City, Florida. That's where I am right now. And uh, work under the guise of Don Harris Ministries. It's not a huge organization. Uh, we are looking for our first full-time person. That would be me. <laughs> no, I, I'm uh, very much involved in ministry, three primary foci. Uh, one is developing resources, such as um, what we're doing right now. Uh, second is in writing and publishing. And then the third one is in the area of offering coaching and personal um, spiritual direction and spiritual friendship to ministry leaders. Um, for many years in the Czech Republic, uh, this was my primary ministry, being a coach and then at the same time offering spiritual friendship to people. But I accelerated that process and God put a new passion into my heart in addition to church planting, and that is the spiritual formation of ministry leaders. So that's what uh, prompts me and motivates me every day, and I'm grateful that I get to do that. Uh, as far as getting involved in Revelation, Mike, I have to say, Michael, I have to say that you're the one that uh, really prompted me as well. I had been what I would call hoodwinked as a <laughs> young Christian and had a very different view of Revelation than I want, than the one I currently have. And it is instead of a fear-based viewpoint of Revelation and trying to figure out what's going to happen when with respect to the end times, it's a a, a real challenge to focus my attention on how do I live for Christ in these crazy times. Mm. And yeah. uh, much uh, very similar to what David mentioned, uh, how to be a faithful witness regardless of the circumstances, whether they're easy or whether they're adverse and hard, how to live under trial and temptation, harassment and hardship, uh, but we're excited about what we can share uh, with what we've learned through Revelation. And sadly, um, uh, I have ignored Revelation for much of my life because I, as I said earlier, I felt that I was hoodwinked. And mm -hmm. so I think this podcast is all for the, also for those who have a similar feeling that at one time, you know, there were weird and wild interpretations of re revelation, but there is a real, um, it, it's beyond common sense. I think it's the reason why revelation was written, that we might be faithful witnesses, that we might live faithfully in uh, all circumstances where we find ourselves. Yeah, great, great. And I know that as we go through this study, no doubt some of those uh, ideas of how you and perhaps all three of us had been hoodwinked originally mm -hmm. uh, in our particular views of Revelation will come out 
Um, hey, I thought this would be fun. Can you guys remember the very first time you read the book of Revelation? I'll give you just a second to think about it. Uh, I, I can remember. I, I mean, I, I came to Christ in uh, 1980 uh, through the ministry of Crew, their high school ministry in Houston, Texas. And, and I was encouraged when I came to Christ to immediately read the Gospel of John. And, and so I did. I read through the Gospel of John and it was so excited about what I had learned about Jesus and, and uh, what it meant to be a Christian that I wanted to read more about uh, what John wrote. And so naturally, I went to the book of Revelation. And I can remember the guy who was discipling me at the time, um, I, I had gone to him and, and was so excited that I'd finished the gospel. And I, I went to him and said, my next book I'm going to read is Revolution. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought it was the book of revolution and was excited about uh, the, the revolution that uh, Jesus had started in, in that book. But I, I can assure you that when I read it uh, way back then, I, I had read it in an old King James Version Bible that I had uh, had been given to me as a child. And I'm sure I didn't understand a thing uh, about it. How about you guys? I don't know that I can remember the first time I sat down and watched it, but I remember when I was in high school uh, and, and like Don, I think I was uh, 16 when I came to faith through uh, a great youth ministry at an Episcopal church. Uh, over the summer, we got a hold of those old uh, film reel versions of the, the Billy Graham revelation trilogy. If you, uh, ever remember those you know mark of the beast and and other things i remember watching that thinking like wow this is crazy um and i don't know that i stayed away from revelation on purpose or or what but i didn't bother to look at it again until a couple of years later when i was in college and i think that was kind of at the height of uh new age stuff this was late 80s and uh, there was some really, dare I say, crazy literature out there. Uh, Christians connecting New Age stuff to mm -hmm. Revelation. And I remember just kind of soaking it up and wondering, what is this all about? And uh, I, I think it definitely left me very fearful, like Don um, I really hoped that there was a rapture before all the scatology hit the fan. And uh, it, it was just bizarre to me. Wow. Don, how about you? Well, before I read the book of Revelation, I was taught the book of Revelation. And prior to being taught the, Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, I had received my first Bible my mother bought me a Schofield reference Bible. Oh boy. And man, I devoured those notes. So I knew everything. <laughs> I, I knew when the antichrist was going, who he was going to have lunch with on the thousandth day, you know, things like that. I mean, I knew so much that I didn't know anything. And then I went to a Bible college and my first year in college, we had a guest speaker teaching the book of Revelation. So this is fall of 73 and the Yom Kippur war was going on. 
And he was reading the Bible through the newspaper, and he said, the return of Christ cannot possibly be more than 10 years from now. And man, my bubble of hope was burst with that pinprick. And uh, I had not known a woman. I hadn't met my wife. I had no kids. I was very unspiritual. Those were the things that I was thinking of. Uh, But it was sort of devastating. And that's when I stopped. You know, that's when I started my process of changing my theological view. Now, I'd like to think that my theological view became because I was more informed, not because I was such an unspiritual Christian that I did not look forward to the great and blessed hope, you know, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But that mentality stayed with me for so many years. And it's not so much that I was afraid to study the book, but I had just, as we say, uh, down south and in the hills, I was foundered on it. I just had enough. I didn't want any more of that. And thankfully, God was gracious to me. And through the teaching of some really, you know, good people, uh, mostly authors that I would refer to, I think I have a much clearer view of what Revelation is intended for and what it talks about. Mm, yeah, that's great. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that, you guys. Those are fun stories to think back on uh, where we've come uh, as we look at Scripture today. And and uh, I know, David, you mentioned something to me earlier that we don't want to come across as being people that uh, are experts on the book yeah. of Revelation. Say something about that. Well, I mean, to put it quite simply, we're not experts. We... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's not like we've been studying this all our lives. It's not like we can recite Revelation in the original Greek or anything like that. Um, And most importantly, the whole point of this is not to say we have the definitive interpretation. You must agree with us or all is lost. You know, it's nothing so nonsensical as that. I think maybe a good way for us to approach this is we're pilgrims on a journey seeking faithfulness and fruitfulness from God's word in this particular book. Uh, What's the wisdom God offers his church today, particularly in our uh, circumstances nationally, globally, and, and who knows what locally with all the social upheaval that has been taking place over this last year. But when I think about an expert, I think of somebody who uh, you know, know, is supposed to know everything inside and out, uh, or as uh, a, a youth pastor I knew used to say, expert is the blending of two words, X meaning former and spurt, something that comes out of a hose. <laughs> so we don't want to be experts, um, but we, we do want to share what we have learned and what we're learning and what we think is perhaps the best interpretations that we can come away with. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for that. And Don, I know it, we've had these conversations too that um, we're, we're, we'll probably disagree with each other every once in a while on a particular passage. But I think overall, the three of us come to the book of Revelation as a book that's calling us to be faithful 
um, mm -hmm. through trying times. And uh, Don, say something about that. Well, I did want to say that, uh, agree that uh, I'm certainly not an expert, but I would say that all three of us are bringing some seasoned reflection to this. Mm -hmm. And that says something. Uh, we're all in our own rights uh, theologians. Uh, we have worked with the word our entire, most of our entire adult lives. Um, and I would say I am fairly confident of many things that Revelation does not teach. <laughs> uh, but also would say that as you get into the literature, uh, academic and popular, uh, that you will find that there is little agreement or no agreement on every detail. Mm -hmm. So it is a disputed book, but we're trying to bring some reasonable uh, seasoned thought to this so that, for example, if there's someone who is now 17 or 18 and going into their first year of college, and you're all confused about what the revelation is about, at least we can dispel some notions of what it's not about, as well as very clear ideas of what it is about, even if we might disagree on minor details. Yeah, good, good. And that's a good word, a good, a good reminder for us as we approach any text of scripture. Uh, and one of the things that I love to do, as, as uh, many of our uh, listeners will recall, is that I love to do theology and community. And so this is going to be a fun time for the three of us to, to uh, learn from each other, uh, that maybe we learn something from uh, each other, and, uh, and hopefully pass those on to you as well. And we do want to interact with you um, who have registered for this course. We'd love for you to participate in the discussions that, uh, that we've put uh, alongside of each of, of our videos. And so just click on that discussion button that's in the upper right-hand corner of your course player and uh, interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about the book of Revelation as you're studying it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to just a rich time uh, of being in God's word uh, together. Today, we're talking about some interpretive strategies to the book of Revelation. And so right out of the box, it, we get into the controversy, don't we? Because there are many uh, ways in which people approach the book of Revelation uh, throughout the, the course of history. And, uh, and they don't agree with each other uh, all the times. And so we want to address this, some of those. And there are four that we talk about um, that most scholars will talk about as kind of setting the, the, the frame of interpretive uh, uh, or the continuum of interpretive, interpretive strategies. And so, guys, take one of those. And uh, as you sense uh, you want to share, uh, talk about one of those interpretive strategies. The one I'm most familiar with, because it was what I was taught all the way through my uh, undergraduate and my graduate work, is known as the historical position. It's also the most popular one out there. Uh, most books on Revelation and on the topics related, the themes spoken of and focused on in Revelation, 
are from a dispensational viewpoint. That is, seeing that Revelation fits into this final dispensation of God's wrath and God's judgment and what is going to happen in the end times. And very simply, that viewpoint would look briefly at the historical and cultural context. They might even go all the way through chapter 3. But for sure, in chapter 1, they're trying to identify what is the historical context, which would be the first century, sometime in the first century. But then by the time they get to chapters 2 and 3, they want to not only look at seven specific churches, which are mentioned, which are there, which were real, but they want to say this is a picture of the entire church throughout all of history. And therefore, uh, for example, in the early 70s, when I was taught, when I was in uh, college, they were saying that, well, we are in the age of the Church of Philadelphia. Now, mm. isn't that nice? You choose for yourself the most admirable church of the seven. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, everything is downhill from there. Mm -hmm. And so you end up using, in chapter 4, verse 1, you have John being used as a metaphor or as a symbol for the church being raptured, caught away, caught up into heaven. Mm -hmm. And then everything after that, he receives this revelation of the end times. And this goes, I believe, all the way through, is it chapter 17 or 18? But in chapters 18 to 21, we begin to have the wrap-up of Armageddon and God's judgment and realize that God has for us a thousand years where Jesus is literally going to reign on earth. And we, of course, as part of the church, get to rule with him. And then finally, God's judgments are done and we enter into the new heaven and new earth. Now, that's a very quick sketch of what the historical view is. That's what I was told. So just the, the big picture of the historicist view is as you described, and it also includes this idea that sometimes we lay our own historical time period onto the book of Revelation and begin to look for things that are happening in our world today and then reading those back into the text of Revelation for it to make sense. It's just the, the, the example that you gave earlier in your own life uh, during the Yom Kippur War that was a historical event being read back into the text of Revelation in order uh, to give the Revelation meaning uh, for yeah. today. Mm -hmm. it, what, there are three other views that are often referred to as the idealist, uh, the preterist, as well as the futurist views. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe one of those views? Well, I would, uh, you know, looking at idealists, of course, there are nuances in this, but in the most general sense, everything is symbolic. It's, it's an allegorical reading of the text. And so everything from, uh, you know, you see the symbolism that is clearly stated in terms of the, the lampstands before the throne of God. But then, um, you know, the symbolism of the... Uh, curses, the, the plagues, uh, all these things. And again, I think the danger can be reading our own 
context into that. Um, it's not just the dispensational who can fall into that trap. I think uh, almost well, all of these different models that we're looking at can, can bait you into doing that if you're not careful. However, with the idealist view, uh, the danger can be in over allegorizing the, the, the text, the, the symbol. Mm -hmm. So um, where I probably am comfortable with the idealist view is in a symbolic view of the millennial. Uh, and, and of course, the, the position I would probably take is known as amillennialism, where the, the millennium is not a literal thousand years, but at least in the reform tradition where I come from, uh, the millennium represents uh, Jesus's, from Jesus's ascension until his return at the, the great judgment. Um, and, you know, obviously something like the historist view would disagree with that. Uh, whether we're talking dispensational uh, historist or uh, the historical premillennial type view, uh, view a very solid, tangible thousand year reign of Jesus on earth before the great judgment. Um, but the, the symbolism can be a little tricky too, because then you're like, okay, well, what's not symbolic? What is symbolic? Uh, where do we draw the line? Who gets to make the rules? Um, and, and that can be a challenge to that particular view. Sure, sure. Yeah. And allegory isn't, um, well, it's an interesting interpretive strategy for sure. It's mm -hmm. not an unusual one. Uh, no. is and it it's not new. Right. It's right. around. We see this in Galatians, don't we? Paul uses to uh, translate uh, Sarah and Hagar, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we see it in a lot of places in Paul's writings. Uh, the first Adam, the second Adam, mm -hmm. uh, all these things. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of bumps up against typology and uh, anywhere that something is signifying something one could argue potentially that it is being interpreted allegorically mm -hmm. uh, so you know is this all happening in the context of the present church well there's the danger right everybody yeah. wants revelation to be happening in their own time because we all hope that we're going to get beamed out of this place before it goes crazy. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> good, good, good. And we'll, and we'll talk more about these. Uh, the, the allegorical interpretation has a long history, uh, mm -hmm. like we mentioned. I mean, we see it in Paul's interpretation, but in yep. particular, in regards to the book of Revelation, uh, it was very early on uh, interpreted allegorically, and we'll see this uh, particularly in relationship to uh, the understanding of the four creatures that Irenaeus gives us in the early, uh, in, in the mid uh, second century. Mm -hmm. Two other views that uh, are typical in regards to interpretive strategies are the preterist and the futurist view. Don, you want to take one of those? The preterist interpretation simply would review 
almost all of Revelation, I believe it's up through chapter 17, as having happened in the first century and centered around the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. And the initial summary I read of that sounded quite convincing to me. In fact, I could see some direct correlation, and there very well may be. But then I picked up a book at the Evangelical Theological Society one year, and it was a book about an inch and a half or two inches thick on the preterist view viewpoint. Only on that viewpoint. Only on that viewpoint. And it was quite polemical. It was arguing this point that basically almost everything in Revelation happened uh, in the first century AD, having to do with what I said earlier, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, and then the decline of the Roman Empire. Good. And then finally, the futurist strategy. Yeah. So simply stated, Chapter, th chapter one are things that occurred in that first century context. The chapters two and three that cover the letters to the seven churches are both for that time, but also for us. And then everything else has yet to play out. Hmm. Um, and, and there's potentially some overlap into the dispensational view there, right. um, depending on how you want to interpret future events. However, again, everything is in the future. Uh, and so we can't really know how it's all going to play out, how, what it's actually going to look like until it happens. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think it, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say to that because it's, it is pretty uh, self-explanatory in that. What I find is that you get a lot of these views because we're all theologians and, and quite a few of us are really sloppy theologians. We tend to treat these views like a la carte. Mm. We, we take the things that we like about this model and that model and that interpretation and this interpretation. And even though they contradict each other, potentially, that there's no cohesiveness to it, we've kind of summed up our own interpretive schema of revelation uh, how very american of us and um you know in the end we're swedish sure we're, we're, it's more good for you know I'm, i'll take your word yes <laughs> but it, it it's like a house of cards and the moment you start pulling things out it, it just falls apart so mm -hmm. i'm sorry don you you wanted to say something and i think i cut you off no, you didn't. In fact, I was the rude one who interrupted you so I could say something funny or what I thought was funny. <laughs> but uh, I would say uh, that the, the futurist viewpoint is, I would agree with you, it's somewhat reflected in the dispensational viewpoint in that they see things linearly, that mm -hmm. things are happening on a timeline. Right. So our fascination with when is the Antichrist born? Who is the Antichrist? Where is he coming from? And in fact, as Michael Gorman, actually a high school classmate of mine and a brilliant scholar, uh, 
informs us that the word antichrist is not even used in the book of revelation right so uh if you want to find out about the antichrist you might go to another one of john's writings uh first mm -hmm. john the letter yeah, yeah. of first john and third john as well but uh just interesting that many of these views borrow from others and mm -hmm. there are some themes that are not exclusive to one viewpoint uh, but if it's not lineal in its perspective, then what is it? Right. And many would argue, and I think the three of us would probably agree that it's more of what Grant Osborne calls a hermeneutical spiral that mm -hmm. is designed around these concentric circles, so to speak, so that themes are repeated, um, judgments are repeated, um, the worship and glory of God are repeated. The mission of God in the world is repeated. Mm. And that's why we want to focus on themes, I think. Would, would you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Because it's, you know, I think, I know for me, as I grew up uh, thinking about Revelation, I, I, like all of us, I think, thought about it chronologically. But yeah. that's such a Western way to think about things. We, we're, we're very linear. Uh, we like to see things uh, progress, and uh, there's a real danger when we come to a piece of literature like uh, Revelation that has different uh, genre of writing in it. Um, it has, uh, you know, there, there are some things that are more naturally interpreted allegorically. There are other things that are naturally interpreted uh, from a preterist position that, that something has already happened. And so it becomes quite complex. But uh, the, the one thing that I've, I, I think I've become convinced of, like you, is that uh, to take Revelation as a book of chronology, I think, is to do a disservice to what uh, John's intention was uh, in the book. It, certainly, there is an end. And that is sometime in the future. We're, we're, we haven't gotten there yet. And so in one sense, there is a chronology. But, uh, but to look at the events and the, and the different uh, the septic, as they're called, the, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, as a chronology, I, I think might miss uh, a little bit of what John's trying to communicate. And so that spiral idea, I think, is a beautiful way to look at the book as it continues to amplify itself uh, as we progress from one chapter to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's especially true if you're looking at it in this chronological fashion and trying to identify when does this happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. And so one of the biggest differences between the way I approached the book before and the way I approach it now is not when will this happen, but when do things like this, when things like this happen, uh, what is my response to it? Mm -hmm. Now, is my response a God-centered, a Christ-centered response, or is it more of a response that com comes from someone who is a devotee of civil religion, for mm -hmm. example? Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Well, hey, guys, this has been great. What a great start to our study as we begin to outline at least some of the traditional um, interpretive strategies and begin to get our heads around um, an approach to the book of Revelation. It, let me end by this. 
with this, well, I think I might have actually two questions for us, but one is what, what are some of the dangers that you see in the way in which revelation can be interpreted? And I can start with one. Uh, to give you guys a couple minutes, because I just sprung this question on you without any preparation. Uh, one of the dangers I see with the book comes from uh, the, the first chapter. John writes, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That I can remember my senior year of uh, the university when I was trying to figure out what my next step was in life. And I, I read this verse and I thought, hey, if I read this book out loud and listen to it, I'm going to be blessed. And so I'm going to do that and expect uh, the, a blessing. And that blessing is going to manifest itself in a clear direction for the future of my life. Because after all, that's what this book is telling me. I'm going to be blessed. And so I began to use the book of Revelation as a code book to figure out my hmm. life. And I think sometimes there's a danger um, it, when we use the Bible in, in that way. We, we uh, try to look at it as a, uh, a, um, almost a magical text and trying to figure out, you know, when is this going to happen or, or uh, you know, what kind of decision do I need to make? And certainly the scripture is, uh, is necessary for us as we seek the Lord's guidance, and it does teach us. But when we turn it into a book and try to manipulate it to serve our own purposes, then it becomes a danger. And Revelation just seems to be so susceptible to that type of interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see uh, another danger in the form of, how do I put this? Being so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good mm -hmm. in the sense that we're constantly looking ahead to being raptured out or Jesus's return that we get caught up in that. And it's not that we're not, we're disinterested in sharing the gospel, but it, it almost becomes a, um, a hyper spiritualism where the gospel is about me getting people saved so they can go to heaven and the gospel no longer has anything to say to how we are to live in mm. this place. Um, whether we want to kind of use terms like ethics, kingdom ethics, or, or what have you, the bottom line is that we're so concentrated on making sure people love Jesus. We're not teaching them how to live in the here and now and how to love their neighbors themselves. We're, we're not acting like, gospel emissaries. Uh, we're not ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for this uh, all expense paid vacation to heaven. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And Revelation does say something to us for how we live our lives today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we'll, we'll begin to dig deeper into that, of course. Don, what, what do you think? What's a danger in the way in which we might approach this this fantastic book well i want to preface my danger with these words i am truly convinced that the book of revelation is as relevant for us today as it was for the christians in the first century amen 
So I think the danger that I would like to focus on is the danger of using other things to shape our understanding of revelation other than scripture. Mm. So the antidote to that danger is to immerse yourself in scripture, uh, particularly the prophets Mm -hmm. uh, and the Psalms. Learn about apocalyptic literature and then immerse yourself in the book of Revelation. Sit down and try to read it through in one setting. And I would really recommend that you do immersive reading. That is, listen to the text and read along as you listen to the text. And I would recommend setting the audio to 0.75 or 0.8 so that you can go slowly and it can get into you. Mm. I really do believe it was intended to be read out loud and to listen to. And then forget about the newspaper. Do not read the Bible through the newspaper. I mean, read the newspaper, uh, but don't read the Bible through the newspaper. You know, don't stick your head in the sand and, uh, you know, I'm not much of a newsie. My, I, I asked my wife, Ellen, I said, is the world still here? She says, yes. I said, okay, I'll go back to reading my Bible. Uh, that's <laughs> the two dimensions in our family. But we don't want to hide from the world. We don't want to be ignorant of what's happening. But we do want to be very careful about becoming these spiritual conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. who postulate that, this really means that the Jesus, uh, that Jesus return is that much closer. You know, since Trump did not get reelected and the evil Democrats did, therefore, you know, certainly Jesus must be coming soon. Well, if that's your viewpoint, you've missed the point of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are a day closer to Jesus' return. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. He said, well, it's closer than it's ever been before. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. And tomorrow will be even closer. Amen. Yeah. Well, good. Well, guys, this has been fun. Uh, I'm so grateful that we're doing this together and, and I'm grateful for you all that are joining us online. And again, please uh, do participate in the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're thinking as you're reading through the book of Revelation. And we want to learn together. Uh, I very much look at this as a learning community. So I'm grateful that we're all on this journey together and looking forward to what the Lord's going to do over the next 10 weeks as we study through the book of Revelation and really rediscover Jesus as we do.